Welcome back. This is SubGW, and I'm Alex Davis. What does it mean to have true equity? What do I do as a non-person of color that plans for black communities? Find out the answer to these questions and more on today's SubGW podcast as we continue our journey highlighting diverse voices and planning. This episode in our Black History Series features grad student Ugo Ingez and an urban planner Lakeisha Wright. Listen in as Ugo interviews Lakeisha about her journey through the world of planning to support communities of color. Okay, so so family. Um, before we get started with this interview, I want to give a big shout out to Alex Davis for the work he's put in. He's got a lot going on in his personal life and he's really stepping up as a leader and representing us in the uh, subsoil program. So I want to shout out how fantastic he's been. And my name is Ugo and I'm here with our guest of honor, Ms. Lakeisha Wright. And um, as we get started, Lakeisha, could you please give us a quick introduction about yourself, um, a little bit about you, your background, and I guess how you got to this point in your professional career and your progression. Yeah, sure. So I am Lakeisha. Uh, I, it, every time it's like, introduce yourself. And then like, I go mentally into like the script, but I want to give the truth and all my, you know, good and bad and how I literally got here from all those things. So uh, I'm an urban planner. I've been an urban planner for 10, almost 11 years now. And um, yeah, I, I've done multiple like kind of topics, genres, whatever you want to call it, of planning. I've done transportation. I've done housing, community development, economic development. I've kind of done it all, but also all centered around helping people of color. So that's kind of been the like tying together thing from all of those different paths that I've taken. And I've also had a variety of jobs from government jobs, uh, nonprofit jobs, and then now a private company job. And it's just been an interesting ride to see how planning for people of color has kind of fit into all of that. And, you know, the good, the bad, the just kind of, you know, difficult things that happen, but uh, it's all there and it's all kind of culminated into good things for me. So, yeah. So, I mean, you've just done so much, you've been all over, but the common theme is you're working and you're servicing people of color and you're giving it your all I can tell. I guess on that topic of people of color and your service to us, what is the driving motivation that led you to pursue helping people of color through this medium of, through this field of planning? Yeah, so I grew up like in a pretty middle class, almost upper middle class neighborhood that was almost entirely black and like, I thought we were doing fine. Like, you know, I kind of like, I knew that other people had it much worse. Um, and I was kind of aware of like those areas and things like that. But I wasn't really aware of like areas that were less people of color centered. And it wasn't until I started going to high school in the suburbs, in a high school that was like almost entirely white, that I started to like process the difference in their neighborhoods versus my neighborhood, but on paper, if you were to eliminate race as a factor, everyone across the board would be the same, same types of jobs, same types of everything. And starting to realize like, okay, so we have a grocery store, they have five. We have like bits and pieces of very like 
infrequent transportation, they have everything on the planet. And then I just, I could not understand why. Like I would think these things through, ask these questions and think like, okay, there's gotta be like someone behind this that's like making this all happen. Who is that? And that took so much digging because like you would hear different answers from different people. And no one really brought up like urban planning until I started like going to college and I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Nothing like sounds great to me. And I got super lucky and ran into a professor who was just like, oh, so what's your interest? And I just started kind of naming random things. And he's like, you should go into geography. And I was like, what do you mean geography? Like, I don't want to be a teacher. What do you do with geography? And he's like, well, here's your path forward. It's going to be great. You know, and I started taking classes, loved the classes, and then took the next step into urban planning, loved that as well. And I think that kind of, that kind of just set things in motion for me of how it all worked out. And I think on top of that, it's just, it's, it's crazy to think that something like geography for me, something I had like no actual understanding of what it was, was really my passion behind the scenes. Like it's, it's just weird to think about. Um, yeah, like it, it's, it's gotten me here and I'm proud of it. And I just kind of wish I could encourage more people to start looking at these avenues and seeing where these problems are really coming from. Yeah, that's a very fantastic story. And so, and you really have like a really, I mean, so you always knew that you want to do something. Yeah, you like it's knew. crazy to think about that. I like the whole time, like I had the bits and pieces of everything and never knew it was a career. Like I can remember going on like family trips and things like that and staring at the map the whole time, trying to be like, we're over here. Okay, we're going to pass this. Oh, here's this landmark. There it is. And then like just following the map the whole trip. And like I remember mentioning it to that professor and like thinking like, I'm just saying dumb things now. And this man is going to think I'm crazy because I'm talking about sitting in a car and looking at maps. And he's like, that's a career. And yeah, like it, it just kind of took that one person to take all those things and then give me an idea. As someone who used to spend his allowance on atlases as a young boy, I, I, I know where you're coming from. And I now have, I'm motivated to continue my, my love of, Love of maps and the mundane. My map in, collection is real. <laughs> in, in, in service of the greater good. Now, I guess you talked about, you know, growing up and developing, having ideas, and eventually you got steered towards this and you've done so much with it. I guess what advice would you give your younger self as a planner coming up? That maybe, you know, as a you know, obviously. You made it to this point, but if you could look back to younger self and say, hey, you know what, this is what I would tell myself, maybe not sweat this or maybe sweat this or get prepared for this. Um, I would I break it into like my younger self as in like young, young self and then like me as in like first year of my career self. So like young, young me, I think I would just say like, enjoy what you enjoy. I feel like I spent so much time trying to like figure out what I wanted to do within my very narrow mindset of like, what's possible? Do I want to be a doctor? No, I don't like chemistry. Do I want to be like a lawyer? I'm not that argumentative at that time in my life now, maybe, <laughs> but like, 
I just kept thinking of all these different things and I couldn't allow myself to just like what I like. And that is the one thing I would change. I would still end up in the same path, but I feel like I could have gotten here faster if I had just like let myself be. Mm-hmm. And then for like younger me, like first year of my career, I think I would tell myself to like, again, don't, don't worry about image. Like I will openly admit, I was just so concerned with like, okay, I've got to have this title of planner or else like I, I then no one will take me seriously. Or like, uh, my whole like year or so has just been in housing. No one's ever going to take me seriously outside of housing. Like I had those concerns or same thing with GIS where I'm like, oh, okay, uh, I love this, but uh, no, I can't because then I'll get stuck. Like, I think at some point I just kind of let go and I was like, it is what it is. It'll be whatever it is. Like life's great, do whatever. And that has served me extremely well of just more looking like this will make me happy. This is what I'm going for and learning how to translate that. But yeah, I think I would just tell myself like, stop, stop, stop thinking there is a box when there's not, because I'm essentially putting myself in that same box that I'm afraid of other people putting me in. That's powerful stuff. And I'm someone who needs to hear that, honestly. (laughs) So (laughs) I really appreciate that. I wrote that question. So thank you. And I guess on the different side, you know, we hear a lot about equity. We talk about equity. We talk about going to communities and we talk about, you know, engagement and, economic development, all these things. So, but it is not a simple thing. It is, it's, it's a lot of hats and it's a lot to juggle. Um, and it's, a, it's tough things to communicate. I guess, what, can you, what would you tell to, you know, planners and other development professionals in general on ways they can like develop or maybe even add to their equity toolkits? Um, we put equity toolkit in quotations because, you know, is such a big broad thing and it means so many different things to so many different people but at the end of the day to facilitate projects and policies that are appropriate for their given communities yeah i think ambition is the number one thing right it is hard it is scary people are mean like it is a hard world out here when you're doing equity work and i think that because of that a lot of people trying to do equity work take that like soft touch with it for their own sake as much as others because like for your own mental health constantly having to fight every single day over every little thing that you feel is appropriate for like moving everyone forward no matter their race their background their income anything like that there's always going to be someone against it And sometimes you find yourself being the only person in the room ready to like fight back so then you're like okay, this is tiring. I'll just try to do this bare minimum that won't make anyone mad so that I don't go home crying, right? So you take this off touch in that way, but then on the other side of it too, there is all of these signs that like, okay, we got to move this way. We've got to do that. We've got to do whatever. And we don't have money. We don't have time. We don't have every single excuse on the book. So again, there's just so much fighting to do that. But I would say like the best thing to do is to honestly keep the end goal in mind and stop focusing on the steps. I know that that is the literal opposite of what everyone says, 
like take it one step at a time. But I think the taking it one step at a time is what's stalling us from moving forward faster. That's a great answer. I never even thought something like that. <laughs> now, I guess taking a step further, you've worn so many hats. And I mean, every hat planning is pretty contentious. You about, <laughs> you've done transportation, you've done housing, you've done public private. I guess when you do have those contentious conversations, you know, something that's like sensitive, like, you know, single family zoning or, you know, bike lanes in a certain neighborhood. I guess when it comes to even talking about the community and talking about, you know, the private forces going on, how do you now as a planner and a professional navigate those discussions and, you know, those events and, you know, those meetings? Or is it something more of like, you know what, I just bring a big team with me and, you know, try and get collision or just something like, you know what, I let's slow it down and, you know, take a step by step. I mean, step by step with an end goal in mind, as you said. I I approach things like, you know, none of this matters. So I'm going to say whatever I want to say. <laughs> like, that seems reckless in a way, but honestly, that is my my only way to not fall within myself and start trying to like please people or not move things forward or to sit back because I will 100% admit even my younger self up into maybe five years into my career I sat back and didn't say things a lot of the time because I didn't want to offend people I didn't want to like have to fight people I didn't want to like be in that position where people didn't like me and more and more, I learned that, okay, it doesn't really matter. If you don't like me because of what I said, you didn't like me when I wasn't saying anything either. That didn't change anything. And then two, that sometimes there's just, that you need one. You need one person just to stand up and say like, you know what, this is what it is. This is what it's gonna be. Here are my ideas. You can fight back if you want to, I'm ready for it. But, um, and sometimes you need that to have the other people in the room be like, actually, yeah, I was thinking about that same thing. Yeah, but yeah, you know, so it just takes that one voice. And it's happened to me so many times where I just kind of like, you know, threw my hands in the air and it's like, you know what, it is what it is. I've got my boss behind me. So when I pop off and say some stuff that might offend some people, she's got my back or like, you know, things like that. And then just go for it. And again, usually when that's being said, just people join in. They almost always do, unless you're being really crazy. But then you need the <laughs> friends to be like, I don't know about that one. Listen, <laughs> if, someone, if someone's being crazy, then I like, at least that means I know, okay, this person's acting crazy. I can say something. You know, I don't have right. to be quiet. This person, if, if, if she's going to say that, then I can get something off my chest too. So right. exactly. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so moving on, I guess once again, like you've done a lot and you're doing a lot. Um, you've worn a lot of hats, as I said a hundred times. Are you have you seen any changes in planning in the planning industry or um, best practices that have surprised you or whether for the good or for the bad that maybe you didn't expect or things that you said, you know, I expected this and hey, it's happening. Especially now we're in the time of great change and like a big kind of like a realization when we talk about you know environmental equity and transportation and emissions 
Yeah, I've noticed there's a big trend towards trying to incorporate more grassroots level people genuinely. So not just saying like, okay, we have a plan. Let us know if you like this, but it doesn't matter because we already spent money on it. <laughs> like there's a lot less of that going on and people genuinely coming to communities and saying like, what do you want? What do you need? Um, and also unprompted. So in other words, like, you know, the typical planning process is, you know, there's money, there's an idea, there's a design, people do their things and then it's presented to the community, they react and it's a back and forth from the reaction, but it's not inclusive at all. Like whenever I explain equity to people, I always like to use this like party scenario. So like imagine you live in a building and you know, there's five floors and parties are only allowed for people on the first floor. And all the rest of the floors, like, I want to be included. I want to be included. Why can't we have a party? Next step in the process is, you know, the building manager is like, okay, yeah, all these floors, you know, you all can all have a party, but don't party with each other. Like, don't do that at all. Then, of course, we get to progress where I think we are heading towards now where everyone's invited to the first floor party. The problem is that sounds great on the surface. But we don't realize that the decorations are already picked, the food's already picked, the music's already picked, and you're being invited into this already created space, which is fine. You may find yourself saying, like, I like this food. The music's great. All those things are there. But you have to step back and realize that, like, we as a community, especially people of color, didn't pick any of it. We're just being invited into something that already exists. So to ultimately get to true equity, we got to take the party outside, basically. Everyone leave the building, leave that behind, take the party outside. So um, I find that, again, we're, we're moving somewhere between that everybody is going to have their party and maybe we'll kind of like merge everyone into that first floor party, but we can't stop there. That's a, that's a, I'm going to steal that from you, by the way. <laughs> I'll give you credit, but I know that that's going to, it's going to help me out a lot of presentations, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so with your experience in housing before going to transportation, did that give you kind of a nuanced sense of the things you're looking at that maybe you wouldn't have, say, if you weren't, you know, working at like a com actual community development um, space? Right, and someone like, cause yeah, you meet a lot of tra transportation engineers who are like, don't worry about it, I got this, I got the mapped out, don't worry, boom, boom, boom. How did yeah. that housing experience, you know, help you um, thoughtfully think about um, your projects? Yeah, it's all connected. It's like, it's so connected that it almost bothers me that these are considered different specialties in a way because like my approach to housing when I very first started was you know a housing community development thing and focusing more on foreclosures than anything else and that was cool it was great it was a lot of just like you know working with the local land bank here to figure out like how do we get banks to just give up those properties? Like you're never going to make money off them. They have too high taxes. We've negotiated to get the county to drop the taxes if the bank decides to 
sell that property or give that property away to the city. You know, lots of things like that. But I started like, I was a little bit isolated in that. So I started thinking of like the next step in that process. All that happens. Now we've got a house, been rehab, good to go. Now someone needs to get into it. But what do they do next, right? Like sometimes we mentally stop at that, that like we got a family and a house, yeah, celebrate. Mm -hmm. But that person still needs to get to their job. How do we do that? If they're isolated in an area where there's no sidewalks even, which when I worked in the South suburbs of Chicago occurred a lot more often than you would ever imagine for a place that has like so many, like hundreds of thousands of people and there are not a lot of sidewalks, but thinking through those things. So it became like going towards like transportation where it's like, okay, so how do we get these people? there how can we make it affordable to get people to work um we can have the same thing going parallel where like we're trying to bring businesses and jobs and again not only just like low-wage jobs but like salary jobs with benefits to this community so people are not commuting as long and as costly so it all connects together and i again went from that um and start thinking about like transportation and sustainability. I had a project when I was working at um, the Chicago Transit Authority that was looking at electric buses. And so my role in that was like very kind of coordinating. I started really thinking about that going back to housing and community development and how these bus barns and bus garages and things like that are all housed in the center almost of a lot of communities. So that's diesel fumes so close to homes and in the winter where buses are kind of just running all the time because they need to stay warm so that they can start like that's it's so much and i it just fascinated me that these like buses were just like in the back of like someone's garage like it's it was crazy so i started digging deeper into like the sustainability things and into environmental justice and like climate resilience and i'm like wait, how did I get here? And then just started feeling it back again. It's like, oh yeah, here's the connection, all connected. So yeah, it's it's been like um, a very interesting connection to with everything I've done. And then again, like, you know, transit and sustainability to micro mobility and looking at that and thinking about like, how does that fit in where there's transit gaps or there aren't sidewalks or all those things like, what are the considerations there to get people to work, to get people to their homes? Like, it's all connected. It was very, very, very fantastic. I wish I had a pencil. I thought it was in class. That was fantastic. But so how does, let's say someone like me, I'm off in my, you know, conservation, easement, planning, cubicle someplace. How do I, what are things that I can do to make sure that I don't miss out on learning about I guess the other the other systems that are a big part of you know land use and the built environment is it you know hey would you say to young guys hey go to go to a uh, go to more conferences or read more books or is it more of you know what volunteer you know how how do young professionals you know get that exposure even if it's like you know it's not through different rules but you know other ways that we can kind of get that nuanced, you know, um, experience that you have 
you know, while still, you know, maybe sticking in our in our gig for like 300 years at you know, the <laughs> county. Yeah, honestly, make friends. It sounds like it, it doesn't matter what level of your career you're in. Make friends with everyone. I'd say go to con like go to uh, conferences, sit by people you don't know and just start being like, here you go. Here's my business card. LinkedIn, here you go, let's chat, and just being friendly. Now, I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm very much an introvert, even though right now you're probably listening to this and being like, no, no, you're not. But I am not great at like, I'm not great at social situations when it's like networking, picking up my thing. Um, I'm not great, like I love presenting. That's my, I don't care if it's a thousand people, I will be relaxed doing it. But if it's a group of like five people I don't know, I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom at my house. So see you all later. And, but I, I had to kind of figure out like what works for me and what worked for me is honestly sitting in a meeting early. So like going to a meeting early, like 10 minutes early and people will trickle into the room. And that was my time to just start talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. And especially with meetings where it was like with people who were outside of my company or even sometimes just in a different department and just being like, hey, how's it going? What are you working on? Oh, that sounds cool. Like just chatting them up in that time. And that is what gave me like, it, it fit with like, again, my personality and things like that to start talking to people, but also kind of let me, you know, see my gaps. I'm trying to be a better networker. I'm trying to like convince myself that when there's a networking opportunity to like at least give it 10 minutes <laughs> instead of just leaving right out the door. But I, again, I would suggest to find that networking way that works for you. Start chatting with everyone. Does not matter who it is. Like if you are mid-level, chat with the interns. If you are a director, chat with the interns, like, and chat with them one-on-one. -on -one. They are people, they have knowledge. I know I keep giving off all of these, like, anecdotes, but another one I love to say is, like, conversation should never be, like, you know, hierarchical. That's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Like, they're not up and down, so you're never talking to someone like, oh, this person's beneath me. Oh, wow, this person's way above me. I can't say anything. Everyone's linear. So it doesn't matter if you're talking to the janitor or you're talking to the CEO. All of their knowledge is exactly the same. The scale just changes on what they can teach you, not how much they can teach you. So everyone has any everything, you know, and can get you connections and can get you where you want to be. And another thing I would say too, if you decide that that is not where you want to be, change. It's not that hard. <laughs> Good, but I have a bunch of business cards they handed it to me and said, here, you can give these people. I'm like, I'm doing these in the trash, but now I gotta- <laughs> I did the same thing, honestly. I gotta dig them out. Honestly, in grad school, like we all got like first sets of business cards. And I'm like, I'm not gonna give this to anyone to tell them I'm a student. And now I'm like, wow, what a misstep, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, so I suggest everyone do it. And again, like if that person wants to just throw away your card, then you don't want them anyway. Like why do you wanna network with someone who's not gonna respect you? So, you know. Now coming up, coming through as a woman of color in this industry, especially with 
your personal motivation to help other people of color? Did you find any pitfalls, whether it was professionally or relationships, professional relationships, or, you know, just going out and speaking to people, speaking to, you know, developers can be tough. Um, did you, were you shocked by anything or were you, um, did you have particular difficulties with some hurdles knowing that because I'm a woman of color, I have to deal with this? Oh yeah, absolutely. I am fascinated by kind of like what I just said, like about who respects whom and in what situations. My very first job was dealing with a lot of elected officials, almost exclusively. Uh, I guess there are like some city managers in there too, but a majority of the people I dealt with were um, elected officials. And I'm fresh out of grad school at this time. I'm just like, you know, in my mind, like mayors are untouchable and like state senators are untouchable and like all of those things are in my mind. And um, I learned a lot about how people respect people. And I can definitely say that there are times in that position and really honestly in every position I had where the lack of respect for me was very, very, very clear. And I kind of thought like it would change as I like went up in my career, got more experience, started like not just like supporting projects, but managing projects and going from managing projects to where I am now to just straight up creating projects. Like I thought like some of those things would change, but I realized like some of those respect things did not. And going back to the first job, I, I learned a lot about respect because there were, there was no clear line between who I thought would respect me and wouldn't respect me. And that was my biggest shocker, right? Like, I will just be 100% honest. I went into it thinking like, oh man, I'm like 26 at the time, like uh, 26. I just started, I graduated like literally four months ago. And now I'm like dealing with like these white mayors in this place. And like, oh, I'm just sending them emails and they're just not gonna respect me. And there are some people that I had at that job who taught me that process I just told you before that like all things are linear, that people have things to teach you. And they were like, respect me and listen to me. And I was like, I'm just throwing out ideas here. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, do you do know I graduated four months ago, right? He's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm like, thank you. But then there are people too where I, I met them and I talked to them and they just couldn't give me the time of day, but they would give my male white coworkers the time of day. They would come up to them. They would approach them. They would give them offers. They would try to bring them over to like their staff and not me. And I, I started to notice that. And I started to do like the Lakeisha trials, which I still do to this day sometimes where I like mentally take something and start like taking notes about what was happening and thinking about how to fight back. So I, I'm proud of myself of getting to the point where, again, throw it all to the wind and say, I don't care. You know, if I offend, I offend. Um, getting to that point. But like, yeah, I just, I, I think sometimes about like how that did affect me and how I then had to get over it, but would have rather had it just be a space or like, and not something I had to get over. <laughs> Hope that all made sense. It was kind of rambly, jumping all over the place, but yeah, it, it's, 
that was my number one thing. It's just like, I was just shocked by who respected me and that. And also one more thing too, because you mentioned developers and just, this just popped in my head. Um, I had a position once too, where I reviewed plan developments. So most of these developments were in like hundreds of millions into the billions. Um, and that was a place to where I kind of sunk into myself, which I have gotten out of, thank God, but like I sunk into myself and I kind of was just like, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I know these people are not going to have my same values, my same everything. And they're walking in the door with tons of cash. And I'm just talking about like little things. And um, the, I don't know how to put it. The preying on that behavior also shocked me that people would then see me as an easy target. So when it came around to what was relevant to me, then it just kind of became the like, okay, well, you're going to do it right in turn. And I'm sitting back like, I'm at year seven of my career. Why do you think I'm the intern? I don't look that young. Like, why do you keep saying these things? So yeah, um, that was actually kind of like the the push off of the cliff I needed to become the me I am now. Yeah, that's heavy stuff. And <laughs> I'm really lucky that I get to hear someone that and I get to, you know, talk with somebody who can get that perspective. But at the same time, I'm going to kind of give a question that's the opposite because we do have planners who are not people of color, who are coming from a different lens, maybe different positions of privilege and are going to communities meaning well um, and really trying to push society forward and push communities forward and push policies forward. Um, what advice do you have for them to make sure that they are entering things with, I guess, uh, going back to the other question, their equity toolkit kind of comprehensive enough to get the job done in an appropriate manner? Yeah, I would say speak to people of color and respect their opinions and also understand your own cognitive dissonance, right? So understand when something doesn't quite feel right, but someone's pushing you to move ahead, but you're also kind of like, I can see the benefit, I cannot. That's when you need to take off your lens look for the person of color to see like, okay, are you right at pushing back or is this not? And I feel like, like that's the biggest tool. And I know that there are a lot of planners out there who may not necessarily have access to people of color the way that they wish that they could. Then I'd say, do research, reach out. I'm one of those people that like, if you send me a random LinkedIn message, I will always respond. Like, I don't care who you are or what you're doing. If you have a question, I, I'm open to that. I, as much as I say that too, I recognize that a lot of people don't want to be that resource. And I completely respect any person of color who's like, I just don't have time for this. But there are a lot of us out here who do. And I think those are the people you can reach out to instead of just kind of like saying, like, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, I've seen some people do some incredible things. People who 
if you look at their life experience, they have not been around a ton of people of color and they have not been in neighborhoods of people of color. And they just took the time to try to understand and to bring passion into it and to bring just this step up to step back mentality. And I love it. And I have met several people like that too. And they're incredible people. Fantastic. So you came from undergrad with a geography background, which means I know, you know, you're, you get around a computer. Uh, are there any new applications, new technologies coming out that you should say, maybe that you're noticing, you're like, man, young planners should really be paying attention to this or okay. any planner in general should be studying this. Cause you know, there are folks who are like, I'm old school. I don't want to, I don't want to be around that. Are you seeing any new trends coming out that you're like, you know what, this is something interesting. I think that people should really start using this in our, as our best practices. Yeah, I find planning technology to, I don't want to say that it's lacking, but I also feel like there's, there's a gap when it comes to looking specifically at how like technology affects people of color within the planning fields, right? So I, I think there's just, there's opportunity everywhere. And I know my mind keeps going to GIS because that's the thing I know the most, but also I think things that are coming up like micromobility and things like, you know, autonomous vehicles. I know that there's an article out there. I can't think of which one, but I know it's something you can easily search like about autonomous vehicles, not seeing like people of color as, you know, people and not objects or things like that. And I feel like those are the places where when we start to design roads and bike paths and sidewalks and all of those things, that those are considerations to take in mind and to be able to correct before it becomes widespread, which is the problem we have now with a lot of things that they were designed and then problems were found and then they backed into them. But there are problems that any person of color could have told you within five minutes were a problem. So yeah, I think too, I know that's a very general answer, but just technology in general needs a lens that can kind of just point out like, I don't know if that's gonna work for me or I'm kind of afraid of that or I keep hearing these things, what's being done about them and then jumping in and thinking like, okay, here we go. We're good. All right. Last question. You've been so fantastic. I've been having so much fun. I'm sure all all my listeners are having a ball right now. They probably said that it's about the end. But what <laughs> is the name of your website? Oh, it is Lakeisha dot right. Uh, that's my email. Wow. LakeishaWright.com. <laughs> so L-A-K-E-S-H-I-A-W-R-I-G-H-T.com. And if you need my email, it's just LakeishaWright at gmail.com. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You're a great leader. And a lot of people are probably going to be really motivated after listening to this. I know I am. And we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. All right. So that's it for SubGW. 
Thanks for listening and join us next episode as we continue to bring insight to the Black Planner perspective.